Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities, we learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Wes could almost sense the ground beneath him moving, the centripetal force spinning the earth at a sickening pace. Dizzy, he tried to open his eyes, but his lids felt weighed down. Forcing them open, his surroundings were a muddled blur, as if nature's colors bled. Nearby movements nauseated him, as did the rank smell wafting in between the bars he just realized he was trapped behind. When reality finally cohered, the gravity of his predicament became clear. He was trapped in a cage being carried through a city, or perhaps a town, populated with people, things, malformed and twisted. Then he remembered what had happened, where he was, Misereth. The houses and buildings were as disfigured as their inhabitants, external staircases like twisting spines, gambrel rooftops fit with bone spikes and large animal teeth crooked windows containing the mutated visages of rubbernecking onlookers. From his vantage, he saw the statuary that Riva had spoken about, 
the macabre tableaus venerating their god and savior, the Prince of Snakes. Some were made from a material not unlike black marble or anthracite, while other more primitive renders used what appeared to be organic components of questionable origin. One of them, the main source of the god-awful stench, came into view, a fetid thing of sordid body parts sewn together to form a screaming man with a bloody knife in his hand. This was no doubt the infamous last interfectorum, Drujan Azra. Various cloaked figures stood near it, soaking the abused effigy in their spit. The attendees' shrouds hinted at hidden movement, reminding Wesley of the grotesque octopoid appendages squirming beneath. Just like a gruel. The thought of the man, monster, caused his insides to inflame, stoking an intense, but ultimately impotent, rage. He tried the bars that penned him, but they didn't budge. Onlookers smiled at him through needle teeth and sinuous smiles, their misplaced eyes and contorted facial features making their grins all the more sinister. As he was carried further into town, the architecture became less rural and more ostentatious, although no less hideous for the fact. Strange statues of inhuman creatures were carved into the buildings, deformed things of teeth, tentacles, and claw, chaos given form in stone relief. Spires and minarets rose into the sky, engulfed in plumes of black smoke drifting through the air, exhalations from the numerous fire pits burning throughout the city. Various towers stood looming, their soot-soaked bodies festooned with skulls both humanoid and non. He was even able to see the windmills, which he now realized were not only populated by corpses, but also living, screaming people. Larger monuments to their lord came into sight, twenty-foot-tall effigies of a lithe man standing amongst a pit of snakes, many of which slithered and wrapped around his body. Minutes passed and the buildings began to die into the brambles of the encroaching wilds. The area became desolate and withered, the trees knotted and coiling, warped into monstrous deities of wood and branch. On the ground below him, he noticed small stone snakes upon the ashen cobblestone, hundreds of them. Each one was crafted to be wriggling in the same direction, the direction his captors happened to be taking him. Eventually, the horde of stone serpents tapered and led to the steps of a lone mansion. Like the other structures in town, it partook of a warped and crooked aesthetic. The windows were few, but those that did bedeck the place looked like peering glass eyes, candlelit irises in the middle of each one. Ghastly inlays decorated the stone pillars at the front of the place, demonic faces that loomed like the gargoyles of Notre Dame. Vines from invading trees sprawled across the stone walls, giving the illusion the rock was covered in thick green vasculature, pumping vitality into the otherwise dead thing. As his captors climbed the dark marble stairs, a large wooden door greeted them, above which stretched a gothic archway with large stone wings on either side of it. The door creaked open as if it hadn't been opened in centuries. The inside of the place lay shrouded in shadow, with only small sections made discernible by the sparse candlelight. From what he could see, the place had a dark kind of decadence, the interior reflecting the spirit of a dire Victorian estate. Wesley went inward, finding it odd that the voice hadn't yet spoken. Ah, uh, any words of advice would be pretty helpful right now. 
If you've got any surprises up your sleeve, um, now would be the time. While he received no response, there was a certain pensiveness to the quiet, a silent calculus. Before Wesley could press the voice further, the door to his small prison whined open. A mangled hand grabbed him and pulled him from his cage. The thing wore those same dark robes he'd seen so many around town donning, red sigils decorating the cuffs and seams, a hood hiding their likeness. Not that Wesley was complaining. The less he had to see of the things, the better. Still, he knew somewhere in that veiled darkness resided a hideous visage, one with misplaced eyes, teeth, and whatever other features the blackness withheld. He was pulled through several corridors, the wan light revealing strange paintings on the walls. Many showed horrid figures rising up from a lake of blood, while others were of alien landscapes Wesley had a hard time putting into words. After walking through a labyrinth of throated hallways, Wesley finally arrived in what looked like a throne room of some sort. The walls were home to strange, gothic-looking sconces, and the floor was a black and red-patterned marble. From the vaulted ceiling hung a chandelier made of bones, each open skull home to a single burning candle. Statues similar to what he'd seen outside stood to the left and right of the room, the Prince of Snakes maintaining his ominous presence. From behind Wesley, he could hear the echoes of several footfalls, the light eventually revealing Moffat and Vorin, shackled and escorted by more robed figures. Coming up from the back was a gruel, wearing a smile as wide as his deformed face would allow. Moffat and Vorin were brought up next to Wesley, and all of them were forced to their knees. They gave each other a silent nod as a deep, grizzled voice came from the darkness at the far end of the room. What strange creatures you've brought me, a gruel. I've never seen the likes of them before. They look weak, flimsy. How is it that one of them managed to capture you? One of them was possessed of abilities, but he has since been dispatched. His carcass left to feed the beasts of the woods. Pity. I would have liked to meet him. If only to dispatch him myself. Perhaps mount his writing corpse on the pylons of war for all to see. A gruel walked over to Wesley and nudged his head. For some reason, only this one can speak our language. He says they come from a place called Earth. One of the ghost lands, I imagine. It seems we may be in yet another coil of the Great Serpent. There was a pause for a moment, and then the creak of wood, as if something large had just lifted itself from a giant chair. Although Wesley couldn't see the ceiling, he could feel something looming above him. He was never one to believe in a sixth sense, but if there was a way to feel evil, to translate its vileness into a somatic sensation, then that was what he was experiencing. There was a kind of weight to the air, an ethereal oppression that seemed to push down upon him, drag him to the floor. The sound of something wet and organic whispered out in front of him. From the blackness, a thick rope of flesh laced with barbs and toothy maws slithered out in front of Wesley. Its end suddenly opened like a blossoming flower, revealing an amalgam of inhuman eyes and mouths. Then it spoke. What are you? Wesley staved off a scream, choking down the terror pounding in his throat. 
Then came a sense of anger from the inner void where the voice resided. It not only calmed him, but made him feel indignant, enraged that the thing before him had the audacity to try and intimidate him. He could feel it roiling in the black spaces of his soul, pacing like a pent tiger being denied its meal. Wesley drew enough strength from it to muster a response. We're, we're, we're human. Uh, your continent, it, it appeared in our ocean. We're, we're just explorers. We didn't mean any harm. We... Meant no harm. <laughs> I believe it was you and yours that snuck into our city and kidnapped our citizen, our prize artist, a gruel. But regardless of your intents, let me make myself clear. We very much do intend to harm. <laughs> a kind that will stain the very air you breathe as it wanders like a ghost in a forgotten crypt. Please, please, don't hurt us. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever you want. The thing paused for a moment, saliva dripping down to the floor from its various open maws. If you are not from here, how is it you speak our tongue? Wesley paused, trying to come up with a believable answer. But he couldn't. I, 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 I don't know. I just, I, I just can understand it. I'm, I'm not sure how. Tongues shot out from the many mouths, wrapping around his neck, arms, and wrists. It felt like he was being constricted by pythons, his bones begging to break at any moment. Do not lie to me, or I will peel back the layers of your flesh until I find the truth. Are you more concoctions of the Bell Fiend? Or perhaps you're one of the misbegotten spawn from the dread pits of Dyer? I swear, I, I, I'm telling you the truth. We're just, we're just humans. I, I don't know why I can understand you. You've got to believe me. The tongue suddenly retracted into the yawning orifices that begat them. Like an eel retreating back into its cave, the large tendril of talking flesh slipped back into the darkness. Wesley tried to regain his breath as he coughed and hacked, almost vomiting. Then he felt something move, something mammoth shambling towards him. That feeling of evil intensified, almost smothering him, making it even harder to breathe. When the faint candlelight finally gave shape to it, Wesley almost collapsed, shaking uncontrollably. The thing must have been ten feet tall, a misshapen mountain of seething appendages and tendrils. Its head comprised dozens of mouths, each gnashing like the maw of a slathering dog. Tongues lashed about, their ends punctuated by wandering demonic eyes, all of which stared directly at Wesley. Its body was a Frankenstein of moving parts, clawed hands, tentacles, and snapping jaws, all conspiring to form some kind of coherent bipedal shape. Wrapped around its undulating figure hung a giant cloak made from living tissue, countless faces stitched into its fleshy fabric, their mouths still yawning in agony. The thing bent low, its deformed face squared with Wesley's. Hear me now, little thing. I will have answers, whether you willingly tell me, or I slowly pry them from your frail, pathetic body. Either way, your screams will serve as a siren of warning to others who might dare transgress our borders, 
and your torn body will serve as a physical testament of our cruelty to would-be invaders. Do you understand me, human? The fear that caused Wesley to tremble suddenly faded, careening into the black hole of his mind. In its stead grew a darkness, and within it, a titanic presence that breathed the anger of eons. He felt the pang of evil again, but this time it came from within, rather than without. It felt like something behemoth was beginning to surface, something that could blot out the sun and douse the stars in its shadow. Wesley felt his gaze fix upon the monstrous creature before him, as if his eyes were controlled by some unseen force. He felt his facial muscles move, the edges of his lips rising into a sinister grin. Before he knew it, he spoke. Oh, I understand. More than you could possibly know. Salvatore didn't know how long he'd been in there. Perhaps hours, perhaps days. Time didn't exist in the dark. It was as if the blackness revealed its artificiality, announced its roots in the human mind. It was just a tool to understand the world, a mental crutch to help explain the physics and properties of the world. He thought back to the past, to his sister, and all the talks they used to have. He reminisced about their coffee outings, their philosophical debates. But what he remembered most was how his sister pleaded for him not to go. He remembered her teary eyes, how her pupils dilated, trying to take in every detail of him as if she were never going to see him again. But the family needed money, and the military had promised a generous stipend that would make it so his aunt and sister wouldn't ever have to worry again. They'd lost everything in the darkness, his parents, their home, financial stability. This was a way to fix things, as much as things could be fixed anyway. He sat in silence, stuck in an everlasting night. When he had run into the cave, the thing snapping at his heels suddenly stopped, as if it were afraid to enter. As foreboding as that was, he had little choice and ran further in. He felt an overwhelming sense of shame. This was the second time he'd run from a fight. He had no idea what happened to his friends. He hoped they'd gotten away, but unless they all found their own caves, he doubted it. The sound of falling rocks jolted Salvatore to his feet, his rifle at the ready. It came from deeper in the cave. He stopped breathing and listened. Silence. His hand crept for the small flashlight tethered to his belt and brought it up. A beam of light punctured the darkness, revealing a craggy stone floor and an ever-widening rock tunnel. Strange fungi hung from the walls, along with some colorful moss and dangling roots at the ceiling. Then he noticed something peculiar. Massive tears in the walls, as if something had clawed into the stone. His light scoured the top of the cave, some twenty feet above him, revealing more. Returning the light before him, two yellowish orbs reflected back. Salvatore froze, his heart nearly pounding out of his chest. A deep growl echoed throughout the cave as the eyes inched closer. He backed away as another snarl accompanied the sound of claws scraping stone. A shower of sparks shot from a nearby wall. Salvatore wasn't sure how much time he had before the thing attacked. Lifting his rifle, he aimed between the two luminescent moons hovering in the dark. Then he pulled the trigger. 
His ears throbbed in pain at the thunderous reports as muzzle flashes strobed the cave, giving him a glance at what hunted him. It looked like a giant, demonic grizzly bear. Its mouth was disproportionately large, filled with rows of serrated teeth not unlike that of a shark. Its body was bulky and muscular, covered in long auburn hair. Bone spines protruded from the top of its skull all the way to its back, some of which sparked and scraped against the ceiling of the cavern. The thing let out a guttural bellow as Salvatore let loose another volley. The bullets just seemed to irritate the thing. Without warning, it barreled towards him. He turned and ran as fast as he could, a small cylinder of light his only guide. He could feel the giant thing's breath, smell the death and rotting flesh of its last kill. The air whooshed over his head, small hurricanes caused by the swiping of the predator's behemoth paws. He soon saw the mouth of the cave, yawning into the daylight wilds he only hours ago sought to escape. Pushing as hard as he could, his legs aching, almost going numb from the strain. Flashes of his sister and aunt appeared in the mental ether, their smiles cutting reminders of what he might lose if he didn't make it out. When he exited the cave, a deluge of rain hit him, trying to pound him down to the ground. Thunder masked the beast's howls, and the groan of bending trees supplanted his desperate footfalls. He tried to zigzag through the woods, but the thing behind him simply broke through the trees, a rampaging juggernaut. Then, impact. Before he knew it, Salvatore was airborne, crashing through small trees and brambles, his body careening through the thickets until crashing against a large, rotting log sleeping on the forest floor. He laid there dazed, the world spinning, a hulking figure lumbering towards him. Now that it was in clear sight, he could see giant tusks jutting from its lower jaw, wrapped in dripping strands of saliva. Bone horns spiraled up from the sides of its head, spearing the branches above. The beast's shadow engulfed him as it reared up, its massive claws spread wide. Suddenly, the creature began to writhe, convulsing madly, its painful howls filling the woods. Smoke emanated from the monster as its eyes and mouth gushed red, a crimson milieu of boiling blood and liquefied insides. Geysers of the stuff began to erupt from its sides, molten entrails painting the trees and grass, shards of shattered bone exploding nearby trees. Nearly turned inside out, exhausted of its internal fluids, its emptied husk slumped to the ground. Salvador began to crawl from his spot against the log, still scared the monstrous creature might rise up again to maul him, but it was clearly dead, still steaming from the blood that once boiled within. Peering beyond the crumpled mass of flesh, relief washed over him. There, his cloak billowing in the wind, his mouth glowing an infernal red, stood Riva. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, 
visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Meltopia, visit us at Meltopia.com. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.